This is The Guardian. Before we start, just a warning that this episode contains some heavy content, including references to suicide and self-harm. If you're affected by this, we have put some links and resources on the Guardian website. Okay. I'm Laura Murphy Oates, and this is the full story. As the news about Roe v. Wade broke in America, protesters in Australia took to the streets, speaking out about our own issues with abortion access. I mean, I already feel like a minority in this country and I feel like I need to fight for every single thing. This is just one more thing that I need to deal with on top of everything else. It's very personal. It shouldn't be dictated by some white old man. You don't have to have an abortion if you don't want one. Just let everyone have the choice. We can't ever trust the people in power to safeguard our rights. While abortion is legal across Australia, being able to access an abortion is another story entirely. Even if you have the money and a clinic or a hospital nearby, there's another lesser-known issue that can make it difficult, if not impossible, to get an abortion. So in the past six months, we have had about five women um, who have not been able to access a termination of pregnancy, who are located within a metropolitan area of Australia and certainly should have been able to access it, given the time, given the presentation, given the law. Today, Australia's hidden abortion roadblock. It's Thursday, the 18th of August. Okay, Sophie, so you're a freelance journalist who's been looking at how accessible abortions are in Australia for The Guardian right now. Can we just start with what is the legal status of abortion across the country? Sure. Well, across Australia, abortions are legal and decriminalised. But in some places, that's been a really recent development. So, for example, abortion was only decriminalised in South Australia last month. And because abortion is a health issue, it's managed by each state, which means that the laws, they're not universal across the country. Mm. So every state and territory has different rules and limits around abortion. So, for example, medical abortions are available until nine weeks gestation, and they have to be prescribed by a doctor, and they're taken orally in the form of pills. However, the limits on surgical abortions, which is a surgical abortion is a procedure done in a a clinic uh, or hospital, they vary depending on where you live. So from, say, 16 weeks in the ACT to 24 weeks in Victoria before further approvals are needed. So access to either type of abortion is hindered by a lot of different things that actually have nothing to do with the law. Right. So what are some of these access issues that you came across in your research, Sophie? So a big one is just it comes down to what postcode you live in. Mm. So as many people would know, if you live regionally, there's only so many doctors and medical uh, provisions are really limited there. Uh, So you might not have easy access to a GP to get the right prescription, uh, especially because only so many GPs are registered to prescribe 
this medication. Mm. So, for example, according to the latest Sphere Centre for Research, there are no health professionals delivering abortion in many parts of regional South Australia. Right. The Guardian also spoke to someone at an abortion rally in Sydney who highlighted similar issues in regional New South Wales. Yeah, my name's Jennifer. I grew up in country New South Wales um, and it is still impossible for women in rural areas to get abortions unless they come to Sydney. Not every rural area, but major areas do not have access to abortion services. But Sophie, what else complicates this picture for people in regional areas? Well, if you're seeking a surgical abortion, you might need, say, more than one doctor to sign off on the procedure, according to the the law in that state. For example, in WA, after 22 weeks, six doctors need to review the process. You might also struggle to find a doctor who's trained to perform surgical abortions. Uh, That is surprisingly uh, limited, Mm. and that's partly because obstetrician gynaecologists don't receive compulsory training around abortion in Australia, as they do in other countries. Mm. Oh, hello. Um, How are you going? Yeah, good. How are you? Dale Kelleher is the CEO of Children by Choice, a reproductive and sexual health not-for-profit in Queensland. Her organisation provides counselling for pregnant people, including support to get an abortion. So Dale, can you tell me a little bit about the training that is provided to doctors around abortion in Australia? It's not something that's really embedded into medical practice and it's not something that's happening within our public health systems as much as it should be um, and therefore we just don't have um, as much access to what is actually quite routine Um, and, you know, like I think there's something that says that it's, you know, safer than a colonoscopy type of thing. Like it's it's really safe and and it's really basic sort of surgery. Mm. And then there's the cost. So many public hospitals and doctors and other health services don't offer the procedure. So that means you have to go to private providers, which are much more expensive. Mm. And for surgical abortions, that can cost hundreds of dollars. And if you have to travel or if you don't have Medicare and many international students and people on visas don't, it can cost thousands. I think abortion disproportionately, like abortion deaths disproportionately affect women of colour because they often don't have the services to access that white women do, unfortunately. So I think we need to remember that penalising or criminalising abortion affects disproportionately affects women of colour because it gives them inaccess to that service. Protest is that that rally in Sydney also highlighted that access isn't equal across society. You know, people of colour are often more locked out. I know in Aboriginal communities there can be a deep distrust of the health system due to a lot of fear around racism and and your children being taken away. Did you come across these issues in your research? Absolutely. If you have English as a second language or, as you say, if you already have a a very well-founded mistrust of the medical system, it can seem virtually impossible to be able to access these Mm. services. It's tempting to assume that everybody has equal access, but for so many women, for so many deeply entrenched reasons, simply can't access what is their legal right in a timely and compassionate manner. Mm. Do you think many people are aware of that? that access is so hard in Australia? No, and I think that for a lot of women, um, they find out 
at a really, really vulnerable time uh, when time is of the essence and it is shocking realisation that can have really, really catastrophic consequences. I feel like many people might have heard about some of these access issues, although some of them were still new to me, though, reading your, your work. During your research, were there any issues that you hadn't heard of before that really surprised you? Well, every medical professional or counsellor I spoke to, and this was people from around the country, they kept referring to this other factor that just kept coming up again and again. And they referred to it in this kind of resigned way, Mm. conscientious objection. And it just kept coming up. And I was like, wait, what? And it's not something I'd given a lot of thought And the more I looked into it, the more I realised how endemic it was and how widespread it was. And and I realised that there's not enough of a conversation about this sort of throwaway line. What is conscientious objection? So conscientious objection is the legal right of doctors to refuse to perform abortion. And unlike most medical procedures, abortion services come with a caveat that medical professionals can refuse to perform an abortion if it goes against their own personal moral code or religious beliefs. Are there any limits on this power? So in theory, CO is only legitimate in circumstances where it doesn't impose delay or distress or health consequences on the patient. But When providers do cite CO and decline to help a patient, they also have to inform patients that abortion is available and then refer them to another professional who can perform the service for them. So in some states like, uh, for instance, Queensland or Victoria, the obligation to refer, as it's called, is enshrined in law. Mm. Particularly in Queensland, they've actually got clinical guidelines um, that talk about that somebody within five days should be able to actually get access to the healthcare procedure that they require and have asked for. Um, And we know that in practice it doesn't quite happen like that. Right, so doctors have this right to object on moral or religious grounds, but they are supposed to make sure that a patient can access an abortion somewhere else. And in some states they're even legally required to do so. Is that happening in practice? Well, it turns out uh, many medical professionals and advocates who work in this space say no. In some areas, this just isn't happening. How so? Well, it plays out in a lot of different ways. It can come down to an awkward exchange with a GP or even a receptionist where they say they don't provide the service, but they don't necessarily refer on, or at least they're unclear about the next steps. Or patients can be knocked back from the front desk of a public hospital without ever seeing a doctor because the service isn't provided there. Mm. And then it comes down to the patient who's already in a really difficult position to do their own research and often pay much more than they should need to, to access the service. And that's if the service exists somewhere else in their area, which sometimes it doesn't. Mm. So it's not always as clear cut as a doctor going, I object, but here's the other option. You may not even know that they object. A pregnant person just kind of faces 
stonewalling sometimes. Is that right? Absolutely. And they have to read into signals. And this this can happen. It's not just in regional areas. It can happen in metro areas. There was a woman who told a story of, of fronting up to her family clinic that she'd attended for over seven years and just having this very awkward exchange at the front desk and they simply sort of shrugged her off and said, no, sorry, we don't do that sort of thing. And that was it. And she felt horrendous. It made her feel judged. Mm. Is that common, that type of judgment? Well, yeah, there's reports of doctors uh, not just being judgmental but actually peddling misinformation and even at times being quite abusive when somebody simply asks them about abortion. Mm. Some of it I do believe is a misunderstanding um, or just misinformation about what access exists. Um, But some of it we do genuinely believe is obstruction um, and, you know, people's um, sort of attempts to, to deny care to people in a timely way. And so sometimes by the time people have reached Children by Choice, They've been to several GPs who have told them that's illegal, um, you know, called them, you know, nasty names for their decision-making because they want an abortion, um, told them that they're, you know, evil or going to hell if they're going to do X, Y, Z, um, tried to convince them to continue their pregnancy or um, sent them somewhere else that's also not going to give them the health care. So sometimes people that come to us are actually um, quite traumatised and quite upset um, and they're just trying to find ways to to access healthcare that is legal um, and should be pretty accessible to people. Do we know how many healthcare professionals in Australia are anti-abortion? Well, in 2020, a study of Australian medical professionals found that nearly 14% opposed abortion on religious or moral grounds. But that doesn't really capture the full picture. Sometimes people are reluctant to put their hand up about this stuff Mm. or they might personally want to provide abortions, but they may work in a hospital where their boss does not. And that's when you get into real cultural and systemic issues around this stuff. Sometimes leadership within hospitals actually plays a key role whether people will put their hand up and say, actually, I am willing to provide that service. Mm. And so if you've got a director of obstetrics and gynaecology or, uh, you know, an executive director of the entire hospital who is a conscientious objector and doesn't actually believe that people should have the, the access to abortion within their systems, they just might sort of make things really difficult. Also, some researchers say that doctors in a regional town, for example, might also be reliant on work in a Catholic hospital. And so they worry that they'll be blacklisted if they provide or help people get abortions. Hmm. The word stigma kept coming up too in conversation with professionals and counsellors. So some doctors in small towns, while in theory they might be willing to provide the service, they don't want to be known as the abortion doctor. One doctor cited the fact that their kids went to the local Catholic school and so that's why they didn't want to be known to provide the service. Mm. What does this lead to when there's an anti-abortion culture in a public hospital? 
Yeah, well, we've actually had a few um, quite confronting uh, situations recently um, in metropolitan areas of Queensland where we've actually had obstruction within the hospital system, so not just within the primary health network, so not, not a GP, um, but where we've had, um, you know, people within systems that have actually delayed uh, access to an abortion. Sophie, your reporting has covered a case where Children by Choice, Dale's organisation, supported a woman who had trouble accessing an abortion, even though she actually lives in a metropolitan area with multiple hospitals. Can you talk me through that case? So one story that really stood out for me was the story of a migrant woman who lives in Queensland, and she discovered that she was pregnant while she was overseas. And after returning back to Queensland, she had to go into mandatory quarantine because this was during COVID restrictions. So she had to request permission to obtain a termination and she was denied. Mm. So that added time, of course. So she lives in a metropolitan area of Queensland with multiple hospitals and medical clinics. Um, But when she got out of quarantine, she reached out to a doctor in her community and they told her that she was too far along. But that wasn't true. She was in the second trimester. So then on Four separate occasions, she presented to three different emergency departments seeking a termination, very clear about seeking a termination. Mm. One hospital was outside her catchment, so she was sent away, but the other two hospitals should have, again, on paper, been able to provide her with timely and professional care. But instead, she was turned away once from the public hospital and then from the religious hospital. And that meant by the time she returned, absolutely desperate to the public hospital, she was past the 22-week mark, which of course makes it more complicated in Queensland to access an abortion. Mm. And at various times throughout this entire process, she had either attempted or threatened suicide and self-abortion. And you can imagine you're in enough of a state of distress that you're turning up in an emergency department. Um, You should be getting some sort of care at least, um, but to be turned away, um, especially when there was complex mental health issues at that time, um, you know, certainly isn't isn't compassionate care and it isn't really um, taking into consideration people's circumstances. Eventually she was able to gain access to an abortion, mm. but other people who live in the same area as this woman weren't so lucky. So some have actually had to continue their pregnancies against their will. People have actually had to continue pregnancies that they did want an abortion and they were denied the care and, and even though we did try and advocate and support them in systems it just it just didn't happen mm. how many women have had to give birth against their will just in this one area of australia so in the past six months we have had about five women um, who have not been able to access a termination of pregnancy who are located within a metropolitan area of Australia and certainly should have been able to access it given the time, given the presentation, given the law. Next, how to shake up Australia's health system 
to make abortions accessible. So Sophie, I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that, you know, people in metropolitan areas have to continue a pregnancy against their will, partly because of this issue of conscientious objection. What does that say to you about CO and how it is actually being regulated and how it works in practice? I think it's all about context. So I think that we're finding that even in the best case scenario where the system works the way it's designed, a doctor refusing to perform abortions and referring on has this cascading effect that applies pressure to a system that's already under strain for all Mm. sorts of other reasons. But then alongside that is this lack of transparency that results in sometimes catastrophic consequences for women who are, again, simply seeking their legal right to an abortion. Mm. It's kind of like this right to have conscientious objection sits on top of a system that already has so many issues. So it kind of compounds the issues that we're already talking about earlier in this conversation, right? Absolutely. And I think it's built on an assumption that there are plenty other plenty more other doctors down the line who are available uh, to perform the service in a timely way and an affordable way. And that's just simply not the case. Mm. Is there a way that we can balance this right for a doctor to conscientiously object with the right of a pregnant person to kind of receive this procedure that is so vital that that's safe and fairly simple? Yeah, so from what people in the know suggest, it's about embedding the service much more holistically into reproductive health care. And there does seem to be a generational shift. So younger registrars want to learn how to perform the service as part of their training, but the cultural shift hasn't caught up yet. So that makes it hard for them to learn in practice. Mm. And then in the meantime, there needs to be, while this cultural shift is taking place, far more transparency and accountability around the systems in place when a CEO does refuse to perform the service. Mm. And I think that hospitals probably need to do more to embed healthcare within their systems and look at their workforce. And if they've got key people that are conscientious objectors within a public hospital, what are they doing to balance that? And what are they doing to make sure that they do actually have people who are willing to provide? And I think that there's a real conversation that needs to happen in Australia I think we we accept conscientious objection without much challenging it, and I think that there is a bit of a space to do that in a in a stigma reducing and respectful mm. way. What about some of the other access issues we've discussed? What do advocates and experts say needs to happen more generally? So advocates say there's a, there's a few key things that could be done almost immediately. So we need Medicare item numbers for abortions and related care. And that means there need to be Medicare benefit schedule items set up for telehealth, for medical abortions, Mm. and another for surgical abortions, and then a range of support services from pregnancy counselling to specific care for culturally and linguistically diverse people, migrants and refugees, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and LGBTQ plus people. 
We can also look at the current Medicare rebates available for abortion and whether these can be increased to make abortion more affordable. So that might include rebates for things like ultrasounds or counselling that might be required as part of the termination process. However, the rebate issue was put to Assistant Minister for Health and Aged Care, Jed Carney, and she's ruled this out for now. It doesn't seem to Mm. be on their radar. Advocates also say we need specific funding for reproductive health. So, for example, money that the federal government provides to states could be earmarked for reproductive health or for doctor training. And above and beyond that, training in reproductive health needs to be improved. So abortion should be seen as a normal part of reproductive health care, starting from medical school, not as something separate, which is how it's currently treated. Mm. And that's something we've been trying to work with universities and with um, rural colleges. And I think Australia is, you know, many years behind places like the UK where they changed their laws in the 60s. Mm. So better funding changing how it's accessed via Medicare and better training. What else? Allowing other health practitioners like nurses and midwives to be able to prescribe medical abortions, that would radically improve access, particularly in areas where doctors are in short supply. And, you know, we've even sort of seen some places really move towards more of a self-managed sort of system. Um, But in Australia, um, because of the way that the medication is actually Um, under the TGA guidelines. Um, It's all done by doctors. So we do have a new Labor government, new-ish, I suppose now. They did make a lot of noise after the news that came out about Roe v. Wade in America. Albanese talked a lot about reproductive health care and rights and how he supports that. Do you think we might see some change to some of these issues that you've outlined in the next couple of years? So, yeah, we do know that the federal government has already been meeting with state and territory ministers and they're working on a multilateral agreement to improve women's access to abortion. So that in itself is progress in terms of putting this issue on the agenda and doing doing so quite quickly. But the process thus far has been shrouded in secrecy Mm. and Albanese recently told radio station 3AW that he won't require public hospitals to make abortion available. He said that this is a state's issue. Are you looking at requiring public hospitals to make uh, abortion available as part of their funding agreement? No. It's being urged by one of your people. Why won't you? It's a, it's a state matter. States control hospitals. We don't control the, the health system. Right. Hospitals do come under state governments. And I know there's also currently a bit of a push in Victoria to ensure that all public hospitals provide abortions. That's been put forward by a, a private member's bill. Have we seen states do something like that before? Well, state governments do have a lot of power here. For example, in Tasmania, the last private abortion clinic closed in 2018 and access was really dire. But after a lengthy campaign, the state government took action and introduced surgical abortions at three public hospitals in the state. So Mm. they do have the power to make these kinds of really consequential changes. But, you know, having said that, You don't want to see this issue frozen in an argument between the states and the federal government. We need leadership from the federal government on this. I mean, we we look to America, we look to Roe versus Wade and we, we think how horrifying, but 
then, you know, it's worth remembering that there are women in Queensland now who have had to give birth against their will, and it's the year 2022. I would really love to have a conversation about how we do respectfully challenge continental subjection and how we actually help support health professionals to meet their obligations to provide compassionate health care to people. Um, you know, I don't want to shame people. I don't want people to feel that they're being attacked. But we do need to balance their right to object to providing health care with people's rights to actually accessing it. That was Dale Kelleher, CEO of Children by Choice, and Sophie Black, a freelance reporter. You can read Sophie Black's piece on conscientious objection at theguardian.com. We've also linked to that on the full story page as well. Also, since we've recorded this episode, there's been an interesting update on this story, with the ACT announcing they'll be making medical and surgical abortions free across the territory from next year for residents with and without Medicare. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and Camilla Hannon, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.